welcome to Still Learning. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. So let's get started because no one is perfect and we're all still learning. Hi, Maria. Hi, Katie. So today we're going to discuss holding boundaries with young children and modeling for them. What does it look like to set a healthy boundary? Yes. So right now we are setting our own boundary by not recording during our Thanksgiving break so that we can be fully present with our own children and our families. Absolutely. This can be hard when you have a lot going on. And it's also important to practice healthy boundaries ourselves as we are the people our children um, look up to. Correct. It is so challenging for parents because parenting is difficult. And this is one of the components that is sometimes misunderstood. The word boundary is often associated with something negative, and it creates a stigma with that word that automatically disregards the child's opinions and feelings. I agree. And there really doesn't need to be a stigma there because <laughs> on the other hand, we have research and real life examples that prove to us that it isn't the case that in fact, children do need informs norms, rules, and some type of guidelines in their lives. Um, Katie, do you mind starting us off by defining boundaries? Sure. So boundaries can be defined as the rules of the game of education. They allow grown-ups to teach acceptable behaviors and transmit values to their children. Learning about healthy boundaries early in life gives children safety, stability, and the skills that are needed for their adult life. Yeah, so much of this. I feel like a lot of times in our parent-teacher conferences and in discussions with parents at our school, we often talk about that, that, mm -hmm. you know, these are the tools and skills your children are learning now in preschool, but these skills are so easily transferable in their, in a workforce or later on in their life, in their careers, in their relationships and things like that. Yeah. Um, one word that really jumps out at me from that definition was the word values. So I always, um, I kind of knew this, but not really until I was in the midst of it. Um, so it could involve some discussions with your partner, knowing your own beliefs and values. So in my case, it was with my husband and there were lots of discussions needed and, you know, um, coming with an agreement on to make sure that we were on the same page about what our values were and just making sure that our beliefs and values align because going back and forth on what is important to our families or what our norms are in front of our children, that can cause a lot of confusion. And yes. again, if our children can't trust us, we know that they cannot learn. So one example that comes to mind, you know, for example, saying we wash our hands every time before we eat in our house, we really have to make sure that that does happen every time, you know, and sometimes maybe I'll say, well, they just washed when we came in, they just touched the pencil, do they really need to wash again? Yes, they do. <laughs> because if the expectation is that we wash our hands before eating every time, then it really needs to happen every time that so that our children know that that's the expectation and 
they can trust us in following through every time that happens. Mm-hmm. Creates such good consistency for them. They know what's going to happen, what to expect, like you said. Um, in my family, it comes out a lot in um, touching somebody else's body or maybe not wanting your body to be touched. So like hugs, um, it seems so little and innocent, but if you don't want a hug from even a relative, that's really okay. And it's part of my belief, uh, as well as my husband's belief, because yes, we have had those conversations too about getting Mm -hmm. on the same page with our values, um, that if our children don't want to be hugged, uh, or for that matter, if they want to hug and somebody else doesn't want it, that that choice needs to be respected. One great thing that I have noticed from my sister actually is that when she's in town, she lives far, so we don't see her on a regular basis, but she's she recognizes that and she knows that my children might not just want to hug her because she's kind of a new person each time she comes around again. And what she's started doing is asking my children when we say goodbye, if they want a hug, a high five, or a fist bump or something like that. And it gives them a choice. It, it gives them some um, ownership of how they're going to say goodbye to who they know is an important person in their life, but it's not somebody they see every single day and therefore aren't as close or comfortable with right away. Yes, absolutely. Giving them choices and, you know, filling up their, um, filling up their bucket of, you know, I have the power, I'm in control is so, so important. This makes me think of something in my family. So you said, you know, with your sisters, my sibling lives like, I don't know, five minutes away from our house (laughs) and we see him quite often. But Mm -hmm. one thing that oftentimes we talk about is the facial expression. So if he's, you know, setting a boundary for my children or like telling them a direction and he's very, you know, playful with them and laughing and giggling. And oftentimes he's like, they're not taking me seriously. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, your facial expression is not very seriously. You don't know, you know, <laughs> like, is this a, exactly. Is this a part of your pretend play or is this <laughs> real life and the expectation, right? Bringing it back to expectation. So oftentimes I'm still modeling saying like, you need to have the warm tone. It needs to be kind of like firm. So, um, it's not yelling you're not laughing you're not smiling you're not giggling you're not threatening them but it's something simple like look at my face I am serious and then just having that neutral face expression and then explaining to the child that for example they might be building with the magnet tiles and all of a sudden a child starts throwing them at the tv so Mm -hmm. then you know giving them an alternative saying something like back to that choice right you can build on the floor or build on the tables. Mm-hmm. If you keep throwing the magnetiles at the TV, we will put them away. Um, and I know sometimes that causes, you know, the grown up to worry. Oh no, I know they're going to throw it again and they will be upset or angry with me. But this is the part of the process of setting boundaries and following through. The children need to learn what the acceptable behavior is in that instance and what is not. And you following through on your word that if they do throw that magnetile again, you will put it away. It actually causes them 
to feel safe with you and to trust you to know that what you say will happen will actually happen. Yes. So I thought of another example from my house and I'm kind of laughing to myself because it's another kind of um, body related thing, which I'm realizing is maybe a little bit of a trigger for me. So um, (laughs) it's tickling. So we, we tickle our children. I don't do it very often. Um, because I have read that sometimes children are laughing because it's just a natural response to being tickled, but they might be laughing even if they want you to stop. Um, our children are old enough now that they can even through laughter say stop. Um, but sometimes the person who's tickling also needs a reminder because I just think about what this does for my children in their future. If they say stop, you know, I would hope that another person would stop, especially if it was something that was happening physically to them that they didn't like. So even to my husband, I'll say, I heard stop, which you've heard me say that at school with (laughs) three-year-olds. Yes. It works for husbands too. Um, (laughs) it, It works for humans, right? It's a reminder. I know you heard it too, but I'm reminding you that somebody just said stop. And that is, there's power in that word. So you need to follow the direction just in the way that you would want your children to follow a direction that came from you. Um, Of course, they're little, of course, they're not going to be deciding where we're going every day and what we're doing or eating. You know, we would be having French fries and ice cream all the time if they need <laughs> that's not what I'm saying but if something's happening to them that they don't like and they say stop I expect it to be respected um in in the way that I would expect adults to behave with other adults as well so you know it just creates that trust that you were mentioning in the long run it also builds a healthy relationship um, because of that trust. They'll know that they can trust him. They know that they can trust me because if they say stop, I stop. Um, I also have an expectation that when I say stop, they're going to stop, but it goes both ways, right? So if I'm giving a direction to stop because they're moving too far away from me in a public place, I want them to do that. But if they know that I don't listen when they are setting a boundary, they're not going to be inclined to listen when I'm setting a boundary as well. So, you know, I'm thinking about now in safety situations and then later on in life with various relationships that they're going to have with their coworkers, with their family members, you know, us and future family members with significant others and things like that. Yes, Katie, I couldn't agree more that it's um, like you said, it's a two-way street and two-way communication and we can't just demand respect from children and, you know, we, we really need to model it and show respect back to them. And mm-hmm. I know what you said earlier about, you know, giving reminders to other children to, you know, might've been your husband in your situation. Mm-hmm. We could um, give reminders to each other, you know, when we're teaching in a classroom, because sometimes you're so involved <laughs> in what you're doing and, you know, you're in the middle of it. You're having fun time with your child. You're tickling them maybe you really like your brain heard the word stop, but didn't truly register it. And sometimes it takes another voice, another perspective, someone who's not in the middle of the play with you to say, I heard stop. And it's kind of like brings you out of the play and, you know, back to reality to um, listening to your child and respecting that and actually stopping. 
Yes, that perspective is is huge. It's a hard thing. And I know we sometimes expect children to have that skill when you're exactly right. If you're having fun, sometimes you assume the other person is having fun too, and you lose the point that they might have a different perspective than you. Yes, I, I love when, you know, in our conversations, when we relate things to like um, grown up to grown up interactions, right? It's very similar um, to that. And that in itself gives me like perspective. Aha, uh -huh. you know, if another grown up said that, I would respect it. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I need to respect that in interactions with children as well. Correct. Um, I'm thinking about another example from my house um, in just, you know, thinking about perspective and knowing yourself and how important that is, is about jumping in to solve a problem for a child so oh, that you can yeah. save them from um, disappointment. You know, you're being the rescuer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think in the past, I've shared that my older son is, he's what you, I call a deeply feeling kid, yeah. someone who's super sensitive and he wears his emotions on a sleeve. And we are a lot alike. <laughs> so, because I feel like I get him and I know deep inside his intentions mean well, mm -hmm. I oftentimes tend to like rescue him from disappointment. For mm -hmm. example, something um, silly, like every time before he starts his math homework, I make sure that his pencil is there waiting for him. Why? Okay. Because I want to set him up for success. But you know, is this really helpful? No, he needs to learn how to be responsible. And, you know, he has a homework bin that he lives all his materials in. So mm -hmm. if he took that pencil out to do drawing or things like that, something that's not necessarily homework related, that's fine. But he also needs to learn the second part in the responsibility of returning it there or then facing the consequence and looking for it, right? Finding another writing utensil, possibly asking for help, sharpening it, whatever it might um, involve. But uh, sometimes it takes, you know, my husband or someone else who's um, present with us in the moment. Sometimes it's my mom or, you know, my brother on another hand, and they call me out on it. And they're like telling me that it looks like favoritism. It sends a confusing message to the child. Yeah, favoritism. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it's <laughs> thinking about examples, it's so hard to pick one because honestly, <laughs> it happens more times than I like to admit, Katie. Uh-huh. Um, something that just recently happened before so my older son, he goes to before school care. Okay. And he was asking me if he can bring these five new stuffed animals he got from grandpa and if he can bring him to show it to his friends. Mm -hmm. So we kind of had a back and forth and agreed that he can bring two. Well, he didn't follow through and he brought all five. Oh, so when he came back home, I saw that in his, you know, I asked him, oh, did you show your friends your stuffed animals? What did they think? And he starts pulling them out of his backpack and there's all five. Hmm. And right away, I hear my brain talking to myself. Oh, so like finding excuses for him, right? Okay. Well, he was excited to share with his friends. That's okay. No, <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> you know, and then I'm kind of like having this back and forth conversation with myself in my brain mm -hmm. of remembering that we had an agreement, the norm, the rule, the, the boundary that he is to choose two 
stop animals, not five, two. Right. And then we previously also discussed that, you know, what will happen if he brings, and this has happened in the past where he's bringing things to show to um, the children in his before school care. And then if, you know, the consequence, if, okay. if he cannot follow whatever we agree on that was safe, that was the norm, that then he will not be bringing in for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Then he'll try again next week. I will see again, introducing the word trust. If I can trust him to do what we agreed on. So um, it's just, it, it's, I had to stop myself and be aware of the, the thoughts and the words popping in in my head and talking through it with him and explaining to him how this is a problem. And I often use that specific phrase in the classroom or in, you know, at home. And I'll say, now this is a problem. Now, because you did not follow through on this, I have to follow through on my end and um, make sure that that we can create this trust in the long term, right? Mm-hmm. Something simple like putting his plate in the sink after dinner. Sometimes he'll leave it and walk away. And I can hear, again, the thoughts in my head. Or even if, you know, we're all having dinner as a family, I said, well, he had a long day. Um, again creating an excuse well we all have a long day right (laughs) and we still need to do our part so what really got me to be more mindful of that is that realizing that he's like picking up on that and he will play off you know off of his emotions not saying this his emotions are not real but he will like intensify them you know and just saying or even begin to be untruthful and saying things like well, I just knew I was going to be so sad if I put that plate in the sink, you know, something uh-huh. silly that now he knows I'm going to do it for him. So that was a big wake up for me of like being aware of, you know, how I'm seeing him, how much of myself I'm seeing in him and mm-hmm. taking a step back and doing whatever I need to do in that moment, whether it's physically walking away, taking some deep breaths to regulate myself first before I can handle that healthy boundary with him. Yes. Oh my gosh. We've said this so much to each other, (laughs) but you have to know yourself. I feel like we've said it on the podcast before too. It's like a, I don't know, this is going to be our catchphrase. (laughs) Yes, we have when we did the um, separation anxiety one, I believe so. Because that can be triggering, right? So knowing your own bias. And of course you have that with your children, with your babies, uh, Mm -hmm. but also your triggers, knowing yourself and just recognizing when you're triggered by something or also knowing when it's really the child doing something that is causing a problem. You know, you talked about follow through and kind of stepping in to make sure you follow through with those situations, but also knowing when to step back and recognize that this is really a me problem and I need to do something about this. You gave the example of, of walking away, something like that when you're feeling triggered. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I know Katie knows this, but like noise is a big one for me, like trigger Mm -hmm. in general, it doesn't matter the environment Mm -hmm. or the time of the day. It just is. So I know what, you know, with uh, someone who is wearing his you know, wearing their emotions on the sleeve and like oftentimes comes, you know, loud crying and uh, emotional outbursts like that. Mm -hmm. So then it makes me like, I have to be super aware of that with my younger son, who is the 
opposite of that. And he will um, identify and label his emotion and say like, hmm, I'm mad. And then he will move on with the task and follow through. Um, <laughs> In those instances, I don't get triggered because, you know, he's right. labeled it, he's done the task, and it's a lot easier for me to hold the boundary for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my children are so different, too, in the way that they handle their emotions. And we hear this a lot from our families at school about siblings. Yeah, siblings and sibling dynamics and, you know, siblings in different settings as well, maybe at, you know, a grandparent's house or out in a uh, playground or at your own house yeah. uh, but wherever the sibling dynamics or follow through or setting these healthy boundaries for children happens it's okay if the strategies and the wording you use from child to child is different mm -hmm. if it varies that's okay but the important part is that you still follow through we hope you found this episode helpful you can find us on instagram by searching for the still learning podcast Make sure to subscribe now on Apple or Google or Spotify. Leave us a review and join us next month for a new topic. We are teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. Because no one is perfect. And we're all still learning. Mm -hmm.